you look in your Old Testament, you'll find that there was a man whose dead body was thrown into Elisha's grave and he popped back to life. We find that Elijah, before him, raised the son of a widow from Zarephath. Or do I have that flipped? Was that Elisha too? Do you remember that story? There was, there was the lady who hosted the prophet and had a special room set up for him and then her child died and he actually went in and laid on top of the child. That I just remember from being a little kid and having my mom read me that and being like, whoa, this is a, like, a, what are you doing? Here's the point though. The widow's son was raised from the dead. Jesus himself raised a widow's son from the dead and a little girl from the dead. And as we know in John chapter 11, Lazarus was raised from the dead. So how is Jesus called the firstborn from the dead? Well, all of those people who were raised got old, sick, and died and paid taxes and had funerals. Jesus, unlike the rest of those who had been raised from the dead up to that point, never died again ascended to heaven, and I don't even think he has taken a nap. It's not the same. He's firstborn from the dead in the sense that his resurrection is different from theirs, and his death was different from theirs. He died to trample down death by death. He died to put an end to sin and death, and he rose in victory over sin and death themselves as the first of a new kind of humanity. That in the same way that when Adam sinned, all of us became plunged into sin and death, now that Jesus has died and been raised, a new humanity is being born in him. That's what it means to say that he's the firstborn from the dead. And the idea is that those of us who follow him receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment that guarantees a partial, we get a little bit of heaven in advance, we get a little bit of the life that's going to come fully later in advance. The Spirit is, in several places in your New Testament, it's called a first installment of what is to come, or it's called a down payment, or it's called a seal, where, where, where somebody would have their signet ring and then they would make the wax impression to signify that this is mine, this is authorized by me, and so the Spirit of God comes into our life as the sign that God has accepted us and that the real thing has already begun in us, but also to guarantee to us that one day in the future we will receive the fullness of what the gospel has promised. Yes, forgiveness of sins now. Yes, right relationship with the Father now. Yes, the Holy Spirit now. But one day, a body that like Jesus' body doesn't get sick is fully lined up with the Father, doesn't sin, and cannot die. Let me read you a few passages. Romans 8, 23, and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. And the reason it says we groan, so if you, you have the Holy Spirit, you would think, oh, the Holy Spirit. Now we're just gonna totally rejoice the whole time. Paul says, actually, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's a groaning that comes upon you because you realize that you have the partial, not the complete. For we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glo glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Like what? 
like Jesus is already has been because he's the firstborn of a new humanity, of not just a new humanity, but a new creation. The whole creation will be remade. He is, the, he is the forerunner who's already living in that new creation and ruling as Lord over that new creation. We are in a strange time in human history. We're living in the in-between where the now and the not yet are overlapping in a strange way where the presence of the perfect future has come back to greet us and even take up residence inside of us and the more that happens, the more we groan. Do you feel that? Or do you at least feel that the world is not as it ought to be? Come on. And the more we taste of his goodness and his perfection, the more we long for that perfect rule, that perfect reign to happen here on earth as it's already happening in heaven. So it's not about pie in the sky and the sweet by and by once we die. It's not about up there. It's about future. People say this world is not my home. Well, yes, but not in the sense that we'll be taken from the earth to go to heaven, but in the sense that this world will be transformed to be our home. This world as it now is is not our home, but the world as it will be will be our home forever. Just nod, because that's good theology. And so in the meantime, we groan. Shoot, we were groaning before we had the first fruits of the Spirit, weren't we? Right now, our country is groaning under the racial Uh, injustices and pain and misunderstanding and political misunderstandings. We are divided and there's groaning. We're in a pandemic and there's groaning. Businesses are struggling and there's groaning. And our efforts to fix problems usually end in worse problems. Not always, but often. Often enough to cause us to want to figure out a better way And the best I can come up with is that the way of Jesus is the only way that I can figure out that I fully can get behind. Listen, I vote, but I don't believe in it. I don't trust in it. The best politics is is a restraint on the outside. The, The answer is Jesus on the inside. Policies can restrain. Policies are helpful. We want really good policies. But don't put your trust in princes or policies or political parties, friends. Our hope is Jesus. I don't mean don't be engaged. I don't mean don't be involved. I mean be careful. Because as soon as you put your hope in your party and in your prince, then you demonize whoever's not in your party and whoever's not for your prince. And now your love for the other has been eroded. I'm jumping ahead. So this is not pie in the sweet, in the sky in the sweet by and by. It's, first off, we get a little piece of pie right now. (laughs) And we'll get the whole pie in a minute. But it won't be in the sky. I mean, some of us will float up for a moment before Jesus' kingdom comes to earth. But it's all about a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus already is where in that, in that new place that he's the new way to be human. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Here it is again, the groaning. Why? Because this is infected and still not fully redeemed with sin and death. You know, Augustine said that 
the new creation in Revelation 22 is superior to Genesis 2. Because in Genesis 2, we could sin. But in Revelation 22, we won't. Just think about it. He was a Calvinist, so I'll give him that. But I'm with him on that point. I don't think you're going to sin and fall out of heaven someday, is what I'm trying to say. Which makes, which makes Revelation 22 even better than Genesis 2. I'll send you home with that for free and say, that's not in your Bible, but it's Augustine commenting on your Bible, and I agree with him. But okay, so 2 Corinthians 5. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Are you hearing? He's, going, he's referring back to Genesis again. That's interesting. For while we are in this this is a tent. This is a tent. Jesus is in a, a house, but this is a tent. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal, listen, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So the eternal life that's coming is not something that we're going to have to find a way to hunt it down and put it on very carefully. It's hunting for us. It's, 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 it's a predator, so to speak. And it will consume, it will catch us, and it will take us, and it will, and it will swallow us up, and we'll come fully alive. It's not a matter of... I hope so. It's a matter of time. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. And he's given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose. What very purpose? Being swallowed up by life. Boy, that's not how the world is operating right now, is it? Right now, death is swallowing everyone up by life. In fact, there are Old Testament passages that talk about the grave as an unquenchable, uh, consuming mouth that's appetite can never be restrained and who always wins. And Paul's envisioning a time coming soon when life displaces that, that, that undefeatable foe of death. And that will be swallowed up by life. I love, I love that he doesn't just say it. He makes it poetic. Philippians 3, 18 through 21. Paul says, For as I've often told you before now and tell you even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Do, are you seeing this picture? That this is the gospel. You can't, I, I, I never took an eschatology class in seminary because I had been programmed by my experience of youth group and American church to just hate the topic of eschatology. 
Because every time you turn around, somebody's reading the newspaper and saying, oh, this is the beast, it's Russia and it's China and this, this one world government and that's what this is and these injections or these microchips or these credit cards. Every time there's been a technological advance, the church has cried, that's the mark of the beast, that's the mark. Every time, look at it, for the last 100 years, every single time there's a technological advancement, whether it was the first cell phones and now it's 5G and it was radio at one point. It was the Amish, it was electricity. So like just every single time there's a technological advancement, we cry end times. We cry eschatology. And we're wrong every stinking time. It's really annoying. You'd think we'd learn our lesson and just put our big hope in Jesus and stay happy and say, you know what? You know what? We're gonna stay so intimate with Jesus we have nothing to fear and we don't have to constantly be pointing the finger at everything, freaking out, because we just stay ready. Isn't the point of Jesus' teachings on being ready for him to come, not freak out, but stay close to Jesus and stay intimate and do the kingdom work. So we don't need to freak out. Tina says, but are we doing the kingdom work? And that is the critical question. Does he, yeah. Are we, are we, if we're ready, there's nothing to fear. There's only rejoicing and longing. See, but for Paul, he can't separate, he can't separate getting saved, quote unquote, from the idea that now, now your whole life is hardwired with this idea of I'm living under Jesus' lordship now. The earth isn't currently choosing to live under his lordship. The earth is not. The rest of the world is not. But I am. That's what my baptism means. My baptism means I am unified with Jesus. Now he's my lord. I have an allegiance to him. My citizenship has transferred. American has gone down at least third on the list from first. Now I'm, I'm a Christ follower, first and foremost. You're, just read the text. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So in the meantime, how do we live? As we await his return, as we await the establishment, the consummation of his kingdom, how do we live? We hold our earthly status to any political country in which we find ourselves very loosely and we hold our status as a Christ follower very tightly because what does it mean to be a citizen of America? I mean, does it mean you go to America when you die? It's not a rhetorical question. I'll just ask it again. What does it mean to be a citizen of America? Does it mean you go to America when you die? So what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? Does it mean you go to heaven when you die? Come on, guys, the answer is no. You do go to heaven when you die, but not because you're a citizen of heaven. The point of saying you're a citizen of heaven means you're supposed to live as a citizen of heaven here on earth by the values of heaven, by the kingdom of heaven, by the policies of heaven, by the politics of heaven by the practices of heaven, by the culture of heaven, that your allegiance is always him first, him first, him first, him first, him first. And then he comes back and he will bring everything under his control, including with a word, our bodies transformed to be like his is now. Because why? He's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the new way to be human. He's already living in the new creation. We have the deposit of the spirit guaranteeing that one day we will receive the new body as we enter into the fullness of the consummation. So in the meantime, we live as citizens. 
We're told if we suffer now with him and die with him and walk with him and fellowship with his sufferings now that in the age to come, we'll receive the resurrection from the dead like he has. And more importantly than anything else, know him. We'll know him both now and then. We're told like him to never repay wrong for wrong, ever, but to bless and not curse, to love and not hate, We're told to give to whoever asks us without expecting anything back. Listen, he entrusted himself fully to the justice of the Father and was resurrected by the Father. Vengeance is his, he will repay. So if we take matters into our own hands, we've betrayed our allegiance to him. Does this feel relevant? It feels relevant to me. I got so many other thoughts on this topic, but we're not going to do it today. I would argue there's a a long-standing myth of redemptive violence that is so hardwired into our culture and into our media and into our entertainment and into our core values that the idea that justice is punishing those who sin against us or hurt people. God's preferable method of justice is restorative justice. This is why Jesus raises people from the dead and gives them back to their family. That's his first, he prefers mercy over judgment. And so the form of justice that is most biblical is restorative justice. In a broken, fallen world like this one, the best we can do is to approximate and bring about some kind of punishment which doesn't bring back what was wronged and lost. It's the best we can do, but it is not actually justice. I don't know if you're catching what I'm saying. God's heart is mercy, 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 and the only people who will end up receiving his judgment instead of his mercy are those who have hard, hard, in a hard heart, in a repeated resistance and hard-hearted rejection of him ultimately chosen that judgment instead of mercy. But his, his preference, his strong preference is always mercy and restorative justice, not judgment and punishment. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for Jesus. I, I think that in the meantime, as we're, eagerly, as we're eagerly waiting for Jesus, If we get too compromised in our earthly allegiances, it's like mixing crap and ice cream. Mixing faith and politics is a lot like mixing crap and ice cream. The crap doesn't suffer much, but the ice cream does, right? The politics may or may not suffer much, but the faith does, the Christianity does. Yeah. I'm not saying if you're called to serve in government that that I won't bless you and pray for you and and that I wouldn't honor that. What I'm saying is even then, it's just like money. Money is a great tool that you can use to bless people, but the love of money is a great evil. So using political means as an expression of your faith is, is acceptable, but trusting in those means as though they are the kingdom is deeply deceptive and dangerous. I had a friend who was ready to sell the, like, mortgage's whole property to get the Ten Commandments back on the courthouse wall in, in, in the county where he was. He was ready to take the whole government to, the local government well, he did. He sued them 
to get the Ten Commandments back on the courthouse wall because in his mind that if that America's supposed to be a Christian nation and if we can get these courthouse, get the Ten Commandments back on the wall as a symbol that God is first, that we'll be really achieving something. And I thought, brother, have you read your Bible? The law, the law reveals sin. It doesn't change human nature. You're fighting so hard to put these laws on a wall How about instead you skip that and try to get Christ in people's hearts? And you say, well, you could do both. Fine, you could do both. But I'm looking at how much energy and effort and anger and activity and time is going to try to fight a fight that doesn't redeem, that isn't the kingdom. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. He says when this happens, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. It's happened for Jesus but it hasn't happened for us yet. We still have funerals. We still grieve. We still lament. We still mourn. Sometimes we sing this stuff and we stomp our feet as though it's already passed. And that's kind of good because it means that we believe it's coming. But let's be honest, it hasn't come yet. Can you understand now why the the modern church doesn't seem to pray, come Lord Jesus, quite as much as the early church did? The early church was like being tied to poles and lit on fire and fed to lions. And the, 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 the early church didn't have a Christian nation. They had a pagan nation with pagan emperors. They were being told to submit to pagan emperors in their Christian New Testament. Pagans who were hostile who called us atheists because we didn't worship their, you know, their, all their various gods. We were called atheists and we were called cannibals because they heard a rumor that we got together and ate the blood of our Lord and, and the body of our Lord. Oh, cannibals. They're cannibals and they're atheists. And, they're, and, they're, and, they won't, and they won't sacrifice to Caesar. They won't drink the cup that says Caesar is Lord. They won't even say Caesar is Lord. They won't do it. They've made a clean break with the empire. They're rebels atheists and cannibals. They spread revolution everywhere. Do we? Not violently. When they come to kill us, we don't kill them back. Well, we do in the modern world, and we did in the medieval ages. Christians fought and killed people they decided didn't have good doctrine. You know why? Because we stopped following Jesus, called by his name but not living by his words. Oh, you don't believe in the Trinity? Executed. 
Uh, in the beginning, we were a tiny group where the standards of Jesus were still high. And we were not protected legally by the state. And we were persecuted. And the persecution caused the stakes to be so high that you only would even join as a Christian if you were ready and willing to die with him. Not kill for him, die with him. Then later, then later, the emperor said, change my mind, it's legal to be a Christian, and in fact, I'm going to send some money to build some Christian buildings. And then everyone looks at the emperor and goes, oh, so you like Christians? And he goes, yeah, I like Christians. And then everyone goes, oh, you, did you know I am a Christian? <laughs> I've always been a Christian, praise God. <laughs> Next thing you know, the cost is low, the standards are low. You live like hell, and then we pray for you once you're dead, and if you have enough money, we claim you're in heaven. And then all of Europe is Christian by virtue of being born in Europe. We baptize you as a baby. It doesn't matter what you believe. We'll buy you off your sins. You go, you listen to a service in Latin you have no understanding of. And when that bell rings, we know that this is now the body and blood, and when you eat it, you're going to go to heaven no matter what you believe. Sure, do whatever you want. But if you take Jesus real seriously, we're either going to make you a, a priest, a monk, or a nun. What I'm trying to say is our culture is moving much more close to where we started at the beginning of this Christian movement. To where we no longer sit in the seat of power. To where we no longer are heard saying what we're meaning to say. And I'm saying that just might be not as bad of a thing for the purity of the gospel and the purity of the church as we think right now. Yeah, but Tim, the culture's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, it's been in a hell in a handbasket for the last 1,700 years. We just pretended it was Christian. You're baptized and you claim the name Jesus and you don't know him, right? Come on. How did I get into this little rant? Do we need Jesus? Oh, my word, we need Jesus. Do we need love? Oh, my word, we need love. Do we need his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven? As much as we ever have. Is it worse now than before? I don't know if it's worse, but you know what I think is we're seeing some things. This pandemic seems to have flushed stuff that was under the surface out into the open, and now we're going, uh-oh. We don't, we don't like each other. We don't trust each other. We don't love each other. And then a whole bunch of people are saying, we should love each other. But can, can you say that in hatred and anger and have it work? This is why I'm like, I'm praying. I'm praying, God, send us more Martin Luther King Juniors. Not, not, I'm not talking about just in the black community, I'm talking about in all communities, for all topics. We need Christ at the center of our efforts, like Garth likes to say, Christ is the reconciliation is Christ is the center of our life, and reconciliation is the as at the center of our work. Did I say that right? Close, Close enough. <laughs> Jesus is the center of our life. Community of faith. G community is at the center of our life. Reconciliation is at the center of our work. Did I get it that time? Whew. No matter what the issue is, we dare not. We dare not engage it with our human energies and efforts unpurified by his transforming power. Uh, we talked about family devotions this week. This is a citizenship in heaven issue. We talked in family devotions this week about Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
but I say unto you, do not resist an evil person. Now, some of us would hear that as saying, Jesus said in the Old Testament, payback, payback, revenge. But now we love our enemies. No, no, no. That's, he's not contradicting the Old Testament. The question I asked the kids is, why did God say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life? Why? God was not saying you deserve to punish them back. He knows human nature won't limit it to what was taken. We'll escalate it. You kill my kid, I kill three of yours. You knock out my tooth, I knock out all of yours. You burn my house, I burn your village. The father wasn't saying you will, we demand justice. What he was saying is I'm gonna, I'm gonna actively restrain the escalation of sin against you, creating sin in you that leads to even more sin everywhere. It was a, and Jesus saw through the letter to the spirit behind the law and he said, let's take the spirit of that law to its logical conclusion and get rid of the resentment completely. He wasn't contradicting it. He was fulfilling its spirit, its meaning, its heart. Of course, he was privileged to know God's heart on the matter since he's the man who is God. But, but can you feel that as a relevant passage to now? I'm telling you right now, I, I, I've had people call me this week and they say, Tim, I'm, I just, I'm, so, I'm so angry that, I, that I'm sick to my stomach. How do I not hate people? They're, Tim, they're so racist. How do I not hate them? And I'm like, ah, oh, this, this, is, this is where Jesus becomes our answer. How do we love in a world that's filled with hate? How do we shine light in a world that's full of darkness? I please don't hear this as being trite or minimizing anything, but Jesus is our answer. I'm not your answer. Being right isn't your answer. Your political party isn't your answer. Your agenda is probably not your answer. His love is our answer. He has powerful, profound, unbelievable, unceasing love for every single creature he's made. It's such a strange time. I don't mean to get off on, on, on all this, but this feels so relevant. Um, This is not the word of the Lord. This is Tim's opinion. I think one of the main things we need to be doing right now is sitting and listening with each other, to each other's stories. Sitting and listening to each other's stories. My story and your story don't match. My experience of what it's like to live here in America is not the same as some of my brothers and sisters of color. It's not. Jen told me a beautiful story this week. Ask Jen what the story is. It was just, well, it, when I say beautiful, I don't mean beautiful. It was painful but it was beautiful in terms of helping me understand Justin's experience, her experience, her husband's experience. Gloria talked, I talked to Gloria about, about her experience. Uh, it was eye-opening. Yeah. And we live in such a, a time where judge, being judgmental is valued as a good thing. My one, my one friend, he's a rapper, and he said, Tim, this feels to me like, he said, politics and groups, this feels like gang turf wars where, 
We don't even want to know what you think or what you say. We're just looking at the color of your bandana to see if you're against me or for me. And as soon as we figure out what color bandana you wear, no matter what you say, I'm going to fight against it. And, and, and if, you're, if you have the same color bandana as me, then no matter how wrong you are, I'm going to defend it. I was like, dude, I, that's really deep. And he doesn't consider himself a Christian, but he was encouraging me. He was the one who said, Tim, you're talking about the difference between following Jesus and following the church. I want us to follow Jesus so closely that when you look at us, you see him. I, I want that. But would anyone in the room honestly say they're the model to follow? If I'm honest, I can tell you a number of things where I want to be more in step with Jesus. And that's just the stuff I'm aware of. That's not the stuff he's aware of. That's the stuff I'm aware of. I'm going to shut this down now. I have no idea what time it is, but I feel like I said enough. But Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Meaning, not that he's the first person who was ever raised from the dead, but rather... He's the only person who was ever raised in defeat of sin and death. And that he is the king of the new creation. And he will return as Lord. And with a word, he won't just transform us. We will. He'll transform us. And it's going to be like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Come on. But he will transform everything, right? that the Lord Jesus, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Man, come on, guys. It won't even be a fight. It won't be an arm wrestling match. It won't be a battle. There won't be like a sword fight like the end of them. It won't be like Thanos and Iron Man and all that at the end of the Avengers movies. It'll be a word with a, with a word from his mouth. <laughs>